Welcome to the BrotherlyGame.com Roundtable. I'm Matt Ralph, editor of BrotherlyGame.com, and today we're going to be talking about the Pittsburgh River Hounds and the City Islanders rivalry of, of you know, you know, that's no longer the RIP, RIP the, the City Islanders um, River Hounds Derby. And I'm joined here by uh, by three individuals to help me help me kind of uh, talk through some of these things that looking back on the history uh, with someone who lived it, uh, Nick Noble, thanks for, thanks for joining us here on the round table. Uh, if you just want to introduce your, yourself and, and say why, uh, say why, how you tie into this story. Yeah. I, uh, Nick Noble, former goalkeeper, Harrisburg city Islanders. And uh, you know, I lived through the good, the bad, the ugly. And uh, a lot, a lot of these moments I, I try to forget and they just keep, coming back in my life you know more in it. Like someone will call me every now and then you know asking for you know what the heck happened that one night um, um but uh, but i'm proud of it talking about. and chris bratton the contributor to brotherly game you know you're you you are a city islanders reporter Penn fc reporter i write for brotherly game still uh first started in 2017 you know to cover the uh harrisburg city islanders through Penn fc uh, but first, uh, went to my first City Islander matches in 2015, and so I saw I saw Harrisburg play Pittsburgh, you know, multiple times. Traveled out to Pittsburgh in 2018 to see Penn FC play them, and I was there. And so I was there. I wasn't uh, really involved uh, during the time of the Miracle on the Mon, but I was also at the uh, match on City Island in July 2015, where Harrisburg. Uh, had the big comeback to beat Pittsburgh on City Island. And John, you're on for a couple reasons because you cover, uh, you do an excellent job uh, covering the Pittsburgh Riverhounds. Currently, uh, you'll you'll be uh, be presenting a lot of awesome coverage about the team as they they go into the playoffs this year and hopefully make a deep run. Uh, we're pulling for Pennsylvania. Yes, I'm uh, John Krasinski. I, as you can see here, I have the Miracle on the Mon right in my hands. Um, and that is the title of the book. Uh, and I uh, obviously also, uh, so the founder and managing editor of Pittsburgh soccer now, which has been a, a thing we, we started as the Pittsburgh soccer report, which is when going way back to the, uh, days of the, when these games happened in 2015 and the Keystone uh, Derby cup, it was initiated. Uh, that's about the time, um, I had actually worked for the Hounds for a year doing some of their game summaries and had done another, a lot of other media work in and around the Pittsburgh area, but uh, had come up with the idea to come up with Pittsburgh Soccer Report that very year. And of course, it, timing was perfect and we had an incredible uh, first, really all four games, uh, memorable matches. And that season was so memorable that I like had to write a book uh, kind of about that, but also it, it spans uh, some of the history of the Riverhounds franchise going back to its origins in 1999 um, and also some of the backstory behind, um, you know, how things led up to the Miracle on the Mon that 2015 season. And of course, uh, even the years that have followed, uh, there's, there's some, some backstory there as well. So um, 
you know, just love of a passion for writing and uh, journalism and I've been doing this for almost 30 years. So um, just, just excited to be, um, to be able to write a book like that and tell that story. I think that was the thing that kind of struck me at first. I was like, I was like, well, John's wrote a book. I have to read it. But really, I'm, am I really going to do I really want to read a book about like Pittsburgh, you know, coming back and, and beating the city Islanders. But like you said, John, like it, that, that's kind of the, that's the hook, right? And like, you know, any good book has a hook to bring you in. And, and to me, the thing that really, aside from the fact that it came at a perfect time for me uh, when there was no soccer, so I could really kind of, I was already thinking a lot more about, about looking back at soccer because there was no current soccer during, you know, the early stages of the pandemic and just sort of like kind of taking a step back and really, really gaining appreciation for, you know, for what that organization has done and, and you know, the, 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 the things that they've weathered, right, um, you know, in the history that predates, uh, predates the, you know, the, you know, a lot of the history of, of, that we were aware of with the City Islanders. So it was just really interesting to kind of get that, that perspective on, you know, the, like you said, like what kind of led up to the game uh, to also then get perspective on the City Islanders. I guess, I guess to start out, um, you know, John, um, you know, like you said, you, you know, you have a, you have a, you have a great perspective uh, of the game and you've been involved in a lot of different levels, uh, you know, with soccer. And, you know, when you, when you sort of look, when you sort of look, take a look at, you know, look, looking back at this process of writing this book and, you know, what, what's sort of been um, like kind of your takeaway from the experience of kind of reliving some of that history? You know, the Pennsylvania soccer community, you, you got, you're on the eastern side of the state, central side of the state, and then western PA. You know, it's a huge state, but the truth is the soccer community is really small. And I think that one of the things that this, the, the Miracle on the Mon captured was, or even just the series between the, the two clubs and the, you know, it was just the, the intimacy of the, of the story. It was, you know, soccer's always trying to grow and always trying to find its place somewhere in our in 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 you know in the narrative in terms of the sports and our our areas and the cities and everything so that's kind of where my motivation came in in Pittsburgh was just in terms of you know obviously it's a stealer town first and everything else is second but people um just the hounds are starving soccer in this our region was starving for more uh, notoriety and or um you know just more coverage and stuff so so when you know when the things really heated up in 2015 i thought it was it was such a great story and there were new fans that got involved so i think that was like that was one of the, the big things that happened I, I think but there was still it took a while um, and Chris is probably a good example. It took a while and there were other people who kind of came on board even after the 2015 season and got involved in the, in the Keystone Derby Cup and, and all of that. And I think it just, they're just, it created a little bit of a spark, you know, as I talk about in the book uh, for the rivalry to at least to continue for a few more years and really give the fans on both sides something to look forward to. Um, so that's kind of the, at the, kind of the heart and soul of the book and but all those relationships i talk about pittsburgh's um, pennsylvania soccer community being such small relationships looking at nick you know 
helping Bob Lilly out this past year, uh, those connections, Bob Lilly, who wasn't even part of the Miracle on the Mon game, knew so many people on both sides that he could, he, you know, was a, a great contributor to the book and had a lot to say. And just, there's just, it's a small world. Um, and, and, and so I think that, I think everybody within that world, at least, really appreciated uh, having this, having this book and having the story be documented old. So Nick, you know, so John gets in touch with you, says he's writing a book about, you know, about the miracle and about, you know, the rivalry between the teams. What, what was kind of your reaction? And, you know, what, you know, what do you kind of make of, uh, you know, when you look back on this time, uh, especially now that you're, you know, you're, you're, you know, your job is sort of guiding younger players, you know, who, who have dreams of playing at, at the next level and, and want to sort of uh, make something of their soccer career. And you're kind of in, in that, in a different position now where you, maybe have a little bit of a different perspective on, on uh, what's happening and, and, and how much it's changed since, since you were playing. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I got a text from a buddy who played on both teams, Neil Schaefer, um, who John knows and Neil gave uh, John my, my phone number. And, and, and I was the same, probably the same, had the same thought process as you trying to, do I really want to go back and talk about what happened that night? Um, but, but looking back, like, you know, it was, it was, I felt terrible at the moment that it had happened, but I'm still proud of, you know, that I agree that we were part of a spark in, uh, in soccer in this region um, and for the rivalry. And, I, and I'm, I'm proud that I, you know, played in the game. I'm proud that I got to experience a rival for so, rivalry for so many years. Um, you know, I still, am, I still see a lot of those guys when I'm on the recruiting trails or, or, or at different camps and clinics, I still, still see a bunch of those guys. And that's probably the first thing we talk about is that night. Um, so it's, it's something that, you know, in the moment is something that I could have, you know, hope that I would never have to talk about again. Um, but looking back, you know, I'm, I'm proud that I was, you know, a part of the, a part of that moment. Yeah. And definitely because it, 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 again, it speaks to, you know, that, that's a, that's a, that's a, an interesting story. Uh, that's a standalone if it's, if it's, if the rivalry's not there, right? Like, oh, this team came back, but the thing right. that like sustains this is that it, it's not just one game that happened. It's, you know, the derby, the, the, the robbery, the, um, the ways that these teams sort of were, were in, in a lot of ways were, were competing with each other because of the natural robbery, but also they were both good teams. I mean, you played on some incredible teams uh, when, you're, when you were playing in Harrisburg. Yeah, I mean, I think we were both similar markets, um we were both you know lower end of the budgets um we were small town soccer markets that um that overachieved that that got the most out of what they had and kind of it made it made the winning even more worth it because you felt you earned it even more um especially in harrisburg when we you know we didn't have any facilities we didn't have any locker rooms we didn't have any money to spend on players um but consistently we made the playoffs you know a, a very often um and we made a run to the finals um, which is, you know, incredible to look at, and, you know, looking at the landscape of, of, of soccer and the MLS and the USL now, um, where it's a lot of big markets, it's a lot of money um, going into uh, even the lower divisions. So it's something that I think both, uh, you know, markets and, and Pittsburgh and Harrisburg were proud of what they, you know, were able to accomplish with, uh, with what they had. And, and it made, it made the, it made the winning even better um, and it made the losing even worse. So it's, you certainly had a lot of pride on the field, both sides in the fans and the environment. And, and you could feel that um, what, whatever the result was. Other than the first city Islanders first year in 2003, I believe it was after that, the 
City Islanders had the upper hand in the series really all the way up until 2015. So I felt like this year, 2015, was a, uh, a tipping point, a tilting point in the rivalry, at least where the, the Riverhounds finally got one over, um, at least, you know, in the Miracle game. But then, you know, it went back and forth that season. But then at the end of that season, um, with the Hounds making the playoffs and, you know, on, on the last day at Harrisburg, which, you know, oftentimes, you know, talking to Rob Vincent and Kevin Kerr last week, like that game is monumental as it was to that French for the franchise, to both franchises. It was for, forgotten because the other two games, the two comeback games, uh, which we really haven't talked much about um, other than just talk about on one um, so far, but those games were just so monumentally um so astounding in terms of the comebacks and what happened and how it happened and um but my point here is that just just the fact that i felt like in 2015 was it was a a, point, a turning point for the riverhounds franchise and not only that after that for a few years they still struggled but the one constant was they still struggled for a lot of in a lot of areas but the one constant was this rivalry was kind of the game that they look forward to even in their lowest years in 2016 and 17 uh, for sure. Chris, you know, so you're, you're, you know, you're one of the fans that was there at city Island when, uh, when the city Islanders kind of returned, <laughs> returned the favor, uh, were down late, came back and, and, and pulled off, uh, pulled off the, you know, the, a little bit of a miracle of their own. Uh, what do you remember that game? And what do you, you know, what do you, what did you, um, you know, what did you like about, you know, being a City Islanders fan and going out to City Island and, and supporting this team? Well, yeah, so I only got to two matches uh, on Skyline. Um, and so the Pittsburgh one was the second one. And I'd actually gotten some friends, like some non-soccer people to like, well, let's tag along because it's just, it's a fun experience, even if you're not all that into soccer because you just you park it's just very low key you park on city island for free you walk over you walk past the ticket booth you know you pay to get in and then like the the you know if you've been there it's like you know just this bowl like this lower area of the island they got the field there they got some you know aluminum bleachers uh the drinks are cheap the the concession stand will sell you applesauce like a big cup of applesauce for the concessions it was just <laughs> And it was just, yeah, and it, it wasn't any of the sort of, it's, you know, it's, and so you didn't have any of that, like, hustle and bustle, like, if you go to something like, you know, Subaru Park, where you're kind of wedged in there, or there's a bunch of people bumping into you, you're just, just, you're just hanging out, you're having fun, and then, the, and then on top of that, you end up seeing some surprisingly good soccer, uh, because even though they weren't spending a ton of money to bring a lot of huge names uh, on to play for Harrisburg or anything, they still went out there and they played really well. And so for the Pittsburgh game, I remember, I remember I had a terrible sunburn uh, and to the point where I was like, I just couldn't wait for the sun to go down because like even I could feel it through my shirt. Uh, but then, then I kind of forgot about that once the game started. Well, cause then Pittsburgh, you know, they were up uh, at mo like three, one at one point And the third goal was an own goal. Uh, and Jose Burrell, bless his heart, uh, I think he came on as a sub and then got two yellow cards in two minutes. Uh, roughly. He, he, he was <laughs> he was an energetic man. Um, you know, when he was when he was on, he was on. But when he was upset, he, he yeah. So he got a couple yellow cards and he was gone. So now we're down two goals and down a man. It's like, well, 
sorry, friends, I brought you out to this. Now they're going to lose. But then, but it just, and it's, uh, it was this weird, yeah, it's this really organic thing to be there because you're in a stadium. It, there's lights, there's sounds, and it's just like, it's very much a multimedia experience now. Not, it wasn't like that on City Island at all. It's just very, like, spread out. You know, people would score, and there's no, like, you know, there was the announcement of the name of the person, but, you know, the scoreboard was this little thing with lights, like, way over in the corner, and everyone's just kind of like, who's scoring? You know, because you don't have great sight lines, but it's like, oh, you know, now it's 3-2, and then all of a sudden, oh, now it's 3-3. And that last second, oh, we're, you know, and then they want, like, it's, it's just like you're spread out people. But then when you do something like that, it was still was like, oh, it was like all those people just came out to the island that night. It was great. It was just this like little organic thing of like, no one knows about this except for us. And we're having this thing together. And that's was kind of cool. And that's why it was a, such a bummer, you know, to kind of lose that, that, you know, I, you know, the stadium probably isn't up to snuff compared to what a division two soccer stadium should be. Uh, you know, because it wasn't a stadium, it was just like a place, more or less. Um, and so that's why it was a bummer to lose, like, you you lost that little bit of the fun atmosphere, the laid back, you know, the the whole island vibe when you had to move over and play at the baseball stadium. They might, you know, they had better amenities and stuff like that, but you just, you lost some of the fun. And it lost some of the sort of like, you know, the, the sort of like underdog Disney movie feel of the City Islanders, where it's just like, you just got a bunch of ragtag guys together, who aren't in it for the money they're in it to be pros and play some soccer and uh that yeah that's that was that was one of the fun things really fun things about being a city islander fan is and you know all the way down like to the logo it's just like it's your goofy team that you're just gonna root your heart out for because you know they're great guys you want to see them win and they won a lot they did a great job they were, i think i mean if you go back for the usl second division and the usl pro years Harrisburg was one of the best teams and then just kind of like the requirements of the league outgrew what they could do where they were at. Harrisburg and the City Islanders are our professional soccer teams in Pennsylvania, uh, you know, before the union came to town. And, um, you know, so, you know, for me, you know, you know, I kind of I kind of latched on to the City Islanders because I lived in I lived in the Lancaster market for a little bit. And you know, that was the local team. And they, they, they were also a Pennsylvania team. And I had ties to, you know, I, went, I attended school at Lebanon Valley College and, you know, was was there when Bob Lilly brought his Hershey Wildcats to train against the U.S. men's national team, uh, U23 team. And, uh, you know, we had the Wildcats back then, you know, playing in Hershey. And, you know, uh, I mean, that's a whole other story. You get Bob, you know, you get Bob talking about uh, John, you know, with, you know, the success of the Hershey Wildcats and that, how that, you know, Herco kind of pulled the plug on that. And, um, you know, they had a really good thing going on, but it also built the foundation, you know, that, you know, for this, for the city Islanders to come in and, you know, you have these guys like, like Bill and, you know, uh, and Bob and, you know, Mark and, you know, you know, he has a, as a kid playing for Chelsea now, you know, you had these guys who, you know, who ended up, who, who, who came to Harrisburg to play, right. I mean, Bill's a guy from, from St. Louis and, you know, he ends up in Harrisburg to play for, play indoor because that's, you know, that's where you could go to play, you know, to keep playing and, and, and get a few bucks in your pocket uh, to play. And they kind of stuck around and they built this, you know, starting with the, 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 the Wildcats and then, you know, built this city Islanders club. And so I think, you know, as a, as an adopted Pennsylvania resident, uh, you know, there, you know, there's no South Jersey team to root for. And I'm not, I don't, I don't consider, I consider North Jersey another state um, for, in terms of the Red Bulls and stuff. But, um, 
you know, being a, you know, a, a Pennsylvanian for the most part now for a lar large chunk of my life, you know, you knew like if, when you're rooting for the city honors, you were going to, you're either rooting for guys who were, who had, a, who are from the area or guys who basically fit the profile like of the guy, you know, the guys who like, you know, like, you know, Nick's not from Pennsylvania, but like, you know, the guys who are gonna, who are gonna, who are just gonna leave it all out in the field. And you know, they're not there for any other reason other than to get out there to play as hard as they can and to get a result. And, um, you know, there was something just really, uh, really awesome about kind of like feeling a part of that, you know, because like you said, like Chris, like, you know, we, we certainly wish that, you know, you guys could have had 15,000 people showing up to your games. Um, it's not that because we, we would have loved that too, but the fact that there was, you know, you know, it was so intimate and it was so, um, you know, you know, you're, you're watching like quality soccer in a setting that, you know, it's almost like, it's almost like probably it would be weird to talk about even to your players now, I'm sure, Nick, like, you know, to kind of explain what that, what that was like, because, you know, at the time, like, you know, a division one program has better, has facilities. Like you, you said, you didn't have facilities. So, um, <laughs> you know, so you're in a, you're in the situation where it's just a very unique time in soccer and, and it, and it's an important time uh, for you, for you, John, when you kind of look at, when you kind of assess where things are at now, um, you know, and you look back on this history that you've, you've researched and that you've lived, um, you know, where, where do you, where do you see things at? Yeah, that's that's a good question, really. But you see the evolution in in the book too. You know, as I as I go through the narrative narrative of how the the hounds were formed and 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 city islanders were formed and and, and all the stuff that they went through and um, you know we talk a lot about Pittsburgh and the new stadium, but the first what thirteen years of the their uh, existence they were playing in high school fields uh one or two years in a in a minor league baseball park in washington county um so they they had their share of uh, just you know just trying to survive just trying to get through each year and just absolute shoestring budgets you know the usl was evolving in all of those years. We've seen the USL or A League, or we've seen these different versions of what the second and the, you know, at different times they were in a second division, at different times they were in the third division. So, and then that happened again during this period of time as well. USL became the third division entity. The Hounds were staying in the third division, but Pittsburgh's a pretty big market, you know, in terms of professional sports franchises and whatnot. So soccer in Pittsburgh, you know, sort of, if anything, should be a second division market. Um, whereas Harrisburg, you know, it was definitely, as you guys have all indicated, it's definitely a little bit more of a struggle. So, so there was, I think, as I said, this was a big turning point for Pittsburgh. Uh, when you get to 2014 or 15, where they, they, they finally field a team that, you know, that can compete and is exciting. Um, and the fans are starting to get into it not just because it is new stadium, but because of the product on the field. Um, and it still took a number of years after that to get to the point where they're now selling out pretty, you know, four or 5,000 seat venue um, for all the big games, if you will. So that's, you know, that's kind of the evolution. I think it was, it was, it was almost like the Hounds needed to have Harrisburg. They needed to have that rivalry <clears throat> that, you know, that, that kept the competitiveness, that kept purpose and meaning uh, for a lot of their schedule. But it, it was such 
a unique time. And I give a lot of credit to uh, both organizations, the Hounds and Harrisburg, for coming up with the idea of the Derby Cup um, to create a little something extra on top of it, which got people, you know, I, I don't know if that was the thing that put people, made more people interested in it, but the people that were involved, I mean, the Steel Army, every year look forward to taking that trip. In 2014, and I went with them that year, was the first time they made the trip as a group. Uh, and it was a horrible year. They had just fired Justin Evans, the coach. There was a lot going on, but there was still that trip and they had a great time. And it was, I think it was a nil-nil tie. Um, and just remember Hunter Gilstrap, the goalkeeper for the Hounds, just saying, you know, we don't deserve to have the fans here in Harrisburg today, but they made this trip in 2014. Well, after that, 2015, 16, 17, and 18, all of every year, those um, Steel Army fans looked forward to that trip to Harrisburg every year. It became a big, big thing. And that's mostly gone now. I mean, Riverhound fans have to really struggle to find a, a fun trip like that uh, that's close enough in proximity where they can get larger numbers uh, closer to 100 plus people. Um, but hey, that was one of those things that all of that, that whole fan base, that galvanized a very small oil fan base on that end. And they, they really enjoyed it. And they love making fun and having a lot of fun with the entire Harrisburg experience, whether, um, whether it was the bars downtown or making the cross on the bridge across the street and, and littering the bridge with steel army stickers and, and, and stealing. Um, uh, I'm sure I could get away with saying this now, but taking the, uh, Owner flags after the matches, and of course having not all kinds of fun with Nick. Um, and not only that, Nick, I you know I don't even tell you this when I interview you, but you know I had to take the bus back home with them that night, and they were still singing your name throughout the uh, evening, um, uh, singing your name in different ways. Uh, so they had a lot of fun with this whole thing. Yeah, we can we can use our imaginations with that one, I think. For that. So, Nick, you know, when you when you kind of look back now on on you know you know you're obviously one of those people who you know you had a lot of different experiences playing soccer. Um, you know, you played in MLS, you played played abroad, and you know you 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 were one of the ones who who really kind of stuck with this team for for a while and. You know, I, I know that you know I know there you had to make sacrifices to do that, right? Like that's. Um, you know, you know, you, you can read, uh, you, there's another book out there, you can read uh, a little more about, you know, um, the Harrisburg experience, um, you know, written by a former player, help, help me with the title of it, Chris. You're talking about Bobby Warshaw's book? Yes, yeah. Uh, when the, the Dream Became Reality? When the Dream Became Reality, yeah. So, um, you know, and I think that that book kind of does a, does a good job of really kind of capturing sort of the, you know, kind of taking a little bit of the <laughs> the shine off of the idea of being a professional soccer player and, and traveling and, and, and move, changing clubs and all of that. But for you, for you, Nick, when you kind of look back on this, there you go. Yeah. Um, you know, do you kind of, you kind of see yourself as a little bit of a trailblazer and, a, you know, someone who, uh, you know, you know, really kind of like helped pave the way for, for, for where things are at now. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I take, I took a lot of pride. I mean, it's, it, yeah, you made a, a ton of sacrifices. One, I like, I had, I had been a bunch of places, been on teams. I, I spent three years in Chicago, didn't get a whole lot of games, went to played in Sweden for a couple of years, got a bunch of games. And I wanted to come home and, and basically play. And, and then just basically didn't really care what I was making, you know, uh, 
Um, I got on great with, with Bill and Eric Pettis, the owner, um, did a great job. And, and then I just, you know, I had some success there individually and, and really enjoyed my time. And I, I really just, I took a lot of pride in that, you know, we weren't given a whole lot. We really had to go out and earn it. And I think it really, and we were good and Bill was good at finding kids that, you know, just wanted to play. Um, wanted to play and really develop and we were very young I was always the young the oldest guy on the team but I you know that's that's a that's a role that I embraced um, I enjoyed trying to be a mentor to a lot of the young players saying you know this is this is what it is this is this is the sacrifices that you need to make this is where you are now you have to make the most of it um, and you know whether we were playing at home in City Island or we were going to Sacramento or Louisville where they have great facilities um, it didn't matter. We're still going to play 90 minutes of a soccer game. So it's um, whatever you're a professional soccer player, you, you know, you still got to go out there and play for 90 minutes. And, and that's what I would try to get across to the players. And, you know, John touched on a little bit, uh, you know, you, you probably took the brunt of the abuse from the, from the Steel Army. Uh, what was that experience like? You know, you know you're playing, um, you know, you're, you're not playing in front of big pr crowds in those in those days, but, you know, you, your your name was well known amongst a, a group of hardcore uh, uh, um, Riverhounds fans. I mean, I loved it. Um, it. It almost makes it when you play in like a small, you know, intimate environment. It, you hear everything they say, as opposed to it just being drowned out by the uh, the rest of the uh, the noise. So, uh, but I embraced it. I would talk to them. Um, I would I would give it. I would give banter back. They would give it to me. But at the end of the day, you know. I, I appreciated their, you know, their passion for the game, um, their passion for their fans. So at the end, at the end of every game, win or lose, like I would go up to them and chat with them because, you know, they're, we're, 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 we're chatting about a soccer game at the end of the day. And it, they never crossed the line. I have a lot of, you know, I had a lot of fun with the Steel Army fans, um, you know, at their place and at my place. So, and I think it, I think they kind of took to that well. Um, so it, it, I enjoyed it. Um, it also in those in those high tense moments, um, you, you're not gonna uh, you're not gonna be able to ignore them and shut them out. So for me to relax and, and try to enjoy the moment and chat with them, it, it almost put me at a little more ease. Um, and you know, I would think it would help me play better. Chris, you know, there's no longer a, a Keystone Derby. Uh, I mean, maybe someday we'll get a Harrisburg team and or. There'll, there'll be some way to sort of renew uh, uh, some some sort of um, rivalry, or maybe maybe we it, it, it transfers to some of the up and coming amateur teams or something. But um, you know, when you look at sort of the landscape now, like what what's what's missing without the City Islanders and this this rivalry, but just in general, when um, you know you know we'll 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 we'll, we'll turn to John a little bit about uh, you know looking ahead with Saturday's game and and the the postseason uh, outlook for the the Riverhounds, but you know what what what's missing from your from your perspective besides uh you don't hear from me bugging me as much because you're not covering the City Islanders. Yeah, well, uh, I think one of the things that's missing is having this um, small but experienced Harrisburg setup here in Central Pennsylvania. You know, there's Central Pennsylvania soccer talent. Uh, you know, the biggest American soccer talent right now is from coming out of Hershey. So, and there's a lots of other guys who aren't, you know, Christian Pulisic who uh, had found spots on Harrisburg. I mean, just in the later years, you know, like Danny DePrimo's from Dillsburg, I think, 
you know, Bobby Warshaw's from Mechanicsburg, Brett Jankowskis was from Palmyra, who weren't guys who weren't necessarily going to get, you know, you know uh, Bobby Warshaw got drafted into MLS and stuff. These guys weren't necessarily going to go to MLS or try and like, you know, uh, go overseas or something, but they had, you know, they could be in Harrisburg playing, playing well, doing something they enjoy, getting paid a little and, you know, pursuing other stuff while they're doing it. And there's plenty of guys out there, I'm sure, like that still who, uh, you know, might have been playing college soccer. And it's like if there was a team that could come to in Harrisburg, you know, that would have, you know, if you have a couple years playing in Harrisburg and maybe you do pretty well, you know, you can get on other teams' radar and, uh, you know, kind of keep things going, you know, keep the – help the dream become reality. And, for you know, so that's just gone now. Um, so that's just one of the things, you know, that, that the talent around our area just doesn't – you know, has to go somewhere else. And I think part of it is that it's sort of migrated out for the younger talent towards uh, the union more because I think the Union Academy has been signing more um, – you know, or people from around here have been going out to the Union Academy more. Uh, John, um, you know, Saturday is the last regular season game for the for Union Two. It's been a a, a, a tumultuous season, uh, I would say, but it's also been a fun one. I mean, um, if you look beyond the results and the, you know, particularly the results against Pittsburgh, which have been very lopsided in Pittsburgh's favor, um, you, you know, there's been a lot of positive signs that have come from, from the Union too, despite, you know, having three of their games postponed because of COVID, uh, having a whole chunk of their season interrupted because of COVID, um, having a lot of injuries to the few veteran players they had on the, on the roster. Uh, most of the veterans got hurt. And so you ended up having a season where it really was, you know, the, it's essentially the U19 team going out there and taking their lumps and getting back up and creating some, you know, just having moments of, you know, attacking brilliance. And you're seeing players like Jack McGlynn emerge as, you know, as team of the week this past week as, as stars at 17. So, um, I think there's a there's a lot of things that we could say. This is not really a podcast about or, or, or a roundtable about uh, about Union Two. But John, from your perspective, like you know, what are you seeing, uh, uh, you know, from you know from Union Two from your perspective, and what are you looking forward to for this game? Because there's so much sort of riding on it on the on the Pittsburgh side in terms of where where they go uh, from here in terms of playoffs. Yeah, well, when you look at the, the Pittsburgh perspective, I'm thinking a lot about the, their three games with Hartford, uh, who obviously Hartford's the, the, the lone team in the group that challenged the, uh, challenged the Hounds this year. Uh, and now obviously have now surpassed them in the standings. They're up a point with both teams being level in terms of having both played 15 matches where for most of the season, the Hounds had played more matches than Hartford and held a pretty comfortable, had surged ahead. And then for almost all of September held a pretty comfortable margin. The first two matches the Hounds had with Hartford were one-sided matches as well. They won, I believe it was two, three or two or three, nothing at Hartford in a statement game, really. They went to Hartford. Hartford was their closest challenger and completely outplayed them, uh, you know, owned the possession battle, really looked sharp. And even as Nardo Forbes went down with an injury, 
such a player that is so essential to Pittsburgh uh, went down with an injury. The younger uh, central midfielders players stepped up, getting a little, lot more involved. Uh, and then the next time Hartford played Pittsburgh was in was was here in Pittsburgh, and it was a five nothing um, disaster for Hartford. Uh, and, and the reason why I bring this up is because then last week Hartford came back to Pittsburgh, as we talked about three matches in the season, and turned the tables. I mean the Hounds did pretty much outplay them, but still they got the result. They they walked away from Pittsburgh with a one nil win, and all of a sudden, just with that one win. And the Hounds having a few hiccups earlier in the season. The tables have been turned, and Pittsburgh is now uh, heading into this last match of the season down a point. I believe it's one point to Hartford. So the two teams, um, barring, uh, I guess, a Hartford loss and a Hounds tie, um, I think other uh, Hounds have to win, essentially. Uh, they have to win. Uh, to finish at the top of the table, which is a big thing because you don't want to travel, especially the first couple of rounds, maybe in playoffs. And so, so that's, that's what's on the line for the Hounds on Saturday. But I'm, as I kind of went through that progression about Hartford, this is the third time the Hounds will play Philly and Philly has obviously shown um, improvement as a club, as a team throughout the courses. We saw them play Hartford pretty well last night up in a crazy ending um, there. But, Again, you know, so Bob Lilly's, you know, he's always going to have his club prepared uh, and they, you know, they should win on Saturday. But that being said, the Hounds had their way with Hartford two times and then took them for granted the third time and, and, and paid the price. And they have to be aware of that on Saturday. I think Philly's playing pretty well and it's, it's time they need to be on top of their game. They need to get that three points. Um, I think they, they, they play very well after losses, typically. So we'll see. You know, and speaking of Union too, Nick, you're you're very familiar with the coach who's come in this season as interim, uh, Marlon LeBron, Marlon LeBlanc. Uh, you know, the former head coach at West Virginia, your coach when you were you were in college. Um, what do you make of him? And you know, just kind of seeing him make this make this difficult decision to 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 move you know, to be close with his family, to be there with his son as he's going through the academy and now to, you know, become an academy coach and then get this opportunity to step in. Yeah, I'm, I'm, when he got the job, I was super excited for him. I know he had been there for uh, a handful of months and, and was just kind of hanging out um, with his kid and, and with his family, time that he was missing while he was here. So I I'm, I'm, was super excited for him to get the job and, and they got a result uh, of his first his first game. So we were all, we were all happy for him. Um, no, and 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 he. I played for him my senior year. Um, we've been in, we've been we've been in touch, and we've been good friends ever since he hired me as an assistant uh, a couple of years ago. And then I, well, obviously I got to work with him. So um, I think he's he's very attack minded. I think he's very creative with guys going forward. And even though he's now coaching a professional in a professional environment, um, he's probably coaching kids that are younger than he was here at the university. So. Um, it's probably an easier step for him to make something like that as opposed to just going straight into an, a professional environment where he's dealing with any kids from, you know, 18 to 40. Um, so it's, it's an easier bridge to make, uh, uh, jump to make for him. So as, as, far, as far as the personnel managing, managing the individuals go, um, I think he, he, he wants perfection. Um, he's going to – I think he'll have to – going forward, that he'll have to try to sort out the defensive – uh, mishaps and get a little more organized and, and try to get more clean sheets. 
but going forward, he, I know he's creative and wants to score goals. Chris, you know, we're, we're going to wrap this up, but Chris, just anything else to add from your perspective of like, you know, how you sort of view, um, you know, the, the, you know, what's going on now in, in, in USL and, you know, the sort of the approach from the union that, you know, you mentioned like, like what's missing, but what are you seeing out of like the union twos, uh, you know, kind of shift? I think it's been interesting this season because it's like you said, this is the most purely distilled idea of, you know, the union two roster was supposed to be um, like young academy kids. That was part of it. Plus some, you know, signings, usually like international signings, plus some of the youngest players from the union getting loaned down at, you know, every week or almost every week. And obviously, you know, a couple of those pipelines got pretty much taken out. And so it became almost like an academy team. And it went from early on, some of those early matches, um, I think it'd be at Pittsburgh mostly, uh, were, were a little tough to watch. Uh, but then, you know, they switched it up. Um, they kind of, you know, even if they're 17, they're getting used to playing together and playing under this new system. And they really, you know, they, they got a couple wins uh, uh, that, yeah, maybe just the two, but still they were good wins. And then there's a lot more games where they were much more in, and then they would, you know, make some youthful mistakes and then they were pretty far out of it. But these last two for them were both kind of nuts. The one against Red Bulls, that was what, five, four. And then this last one against Hartford. Um, so I think it's like, it's interesting to see, you know, Pittsburgh now has to win to get the best playoff position. But Union 2 has nothing to lose because, you know, they're just playing for fun now, but, and they're playing for pride. And it seems like these, you know, the funny thing is the 17-year-old kids who are getting all this extra playing time, they got a lot to play for because, you know, that's, they're really standing out. They're making some big impressions, sometimes good, sometimes bad, but, you know, they're going to, so I feel like it's going to be, a, I think it's going to be actually a fun match that's going to, you know, give a little more because it's, I think it's going to either be like 10 nothing or 5-5. Or like, you know, it'll just be a total scoreless draw. Something like that. It, it, like, those are the only three options. It's going to be one of those. But uh, I think that's actually kind of nice that, um, you know, it could have just been, if the Un if Union 2 had just kind of like been demoralized by how the season turned out and just got thumped game after game, th this wouldn't have been any fun because that's, you have just been more of the same. But Union 2 has, you know, pulled themselves up by their bootstraps. They're playing great soccer. And I think they're going to give an in Pittsburgh an interesting match, even though this is, you know, Pittsburgh playing for this big uh, bit of playoff position. And that does bring a little bit of the spark of the Keystone Cup uh, back a little bit. You know, it's not exactly the same, but I think that's uh, it's going to bring some of the fun back. Because I think, yeah, the Union 2, these young kids uh, are going to, you know, do whatever it takes out there. And, uh, you know, I'm sure Bob Lilly is going to be ready for him, but I think that's going to be, you know, something fun. So that's why I kind of, you know, looking forward to this more than I would have uh, if you'd asked me about this back at the restart. So that's, that's well, I, I think it's interesting too, kind of the, the, the Steel Army member uh, towards the end of my book said, you know, the fun went away for a little while, but, you know, there's always that chance to, for some, that next chapter. And we've seen the next chapter and it, next chapter maybe is not doesn't have the the the, the true rivalry um, between two clubs on maybe on equal or equal footing fighting for revel, relevancy you have now you have two different clubs in two different directions doing two different things but yet they still have to meet each other on the field and, and compete and you know that's the bottom line it's going to be competition and and we've got 
you know, I, I think it's another inch, very interesting chapter in Pittsburgh versus, you know, whether it's, you know, we had Harrisburg and now, you know, the union too, but the Bethlehem Steel, uh, you know, there were some, we talk about that, that really didn't have a chance for that to, to truly become a rivalry, but we do have some moments and we had some incredible moments. Uh, obviously the playoff match at Highmark Stadium was one of those monumental nights in the history of both clubs because, you know, Bethlehem Steel, if you're a true Bethlehem Steel East, you know, uh, you have ties to that, the history, you know, that organization and its history and, and what it represented before it became Union 2. I mean, you can, you can point to that moment as, you know what, at a moment in time, you, you knocked off the Riverhounds. You had a lot of young kids that have gone on to, to do some pretty good things uh, after that match. And, you know, that's a character building type of uh, moment for a lot of those young Philadelphia, or I guess Bethlehem Steel players at that time. Um, so, you know, we lost the, the Keystone Derby Cup, but we, you know, there's there's been continued moments and, hey, we're still covering this thing. We're still talking about this thing. And I think that, I think as this next decade evolves and we get past this moment with dealing with the current pandemic and everything, um, the future of professional soccer in Pennsylvania, I think, is is going to evolve. And I think that Central Pennsylvania, I know Nick talked about it to me in, his, in, in my interview with him, but the potential that Central Pennsylvania has um, with League One growing the way it is, I know facilities is going to be an issue, but it's a fight that has to be fought. And I think that I'm hopeful someday, whether it's League One at least, has more Pennsylvania representation. Um, but yeah, looking forward to Saturday for now. That's the short term. That's what we've got to look forward to. And hopefully next year there's some version of the Hounds and Philly Union or whoever else. And um, yeah, just looking forward to it. Round table, John, it's been so great to have you. Thank you so Thank much you. for, for bringing this book out uh, into the world and for sharing it with us. Nick, thanks so much for being, being, being on here with us. Uh, and Chris, thanks again, as always, for jumping on and for your insight and just for your uh, your passion as a as a writer and contributor for Brotherly Game and so yeah, thank, you. thank you and it's like yeah that it's been my pleasure yeah thanks for having me.